How about this one? You'll get this one. Today you will be in paradise. Thief on the cross, right? A couple more. You'll get this one. This one's not very eloquent. But called, ran, eaten, spat, preached, mad. Jonah, right? That's summation right there. It ends with mad. And then the most easy of all of them, the last one. Six words to summarize our Savior. Came to seek and save lost. It's Jesus. The Bible that you hold in your hands, the story that represents 80% of the Bible that we're going to begin reading this week, is an incredibly complex book. It's got 66 different books within it. All kinds of different genres of scripture, unfamiliar, ancient literature is part of it. There's an overwhelming number of characters. It's written over 1,500 years. It can be strange. It can be bewildering. It can be scandalous, but yet it's wonderful. And yet, still more, with all its mystery and complexity and intricacy, the Bible's still very accessible, very simple. It's a story. It's not law. It's not code. It's not a book to just basic instructions before leaving earth. It is a story of God. The story of God's compassion and love and His desire. And if you were to sum up the entire Scripture in six words, what would you say? Think about it. How would you sum up Scripture as a six-word memoir? I'll give you a couple that I came up with. One, God is here. Everything can change. Or maybe less poetically, I would call it, we broke it, gotta fix it. Now take that for what it's worth, but I want to look at a passage this morning. If you've got your Bible, go to Luke 24. And in this passage that we're going to unpack today, Jesus actually takes all of Scripture, His Scriptures, which is the Old Testament to us, and He summarizes it. He doesn't do it in six words, but He does it in just a few more. And this summary that He gives this morning, I hope has a profound impact on you as it has on me this week. A profound impact of seeing what Scripture really is about. Because Scripture can, can get misused and abused. It can become boring. It can become a weapon. It can become so many different things when we miss what it really is. And in Luke 24, Jesus gives us a summary. When He is speaking to His disciples post-resurrection, the resurrected Christ has a little short Bible study. And what he says here is critical to how we understand the text, how we interact with it, but even more importantly, how we allow the text to interact in us. How we let it change us. And it begins like this. Jesus, this is the resurrected Jesus, remember that. He said to them, these are his disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. When I was alive. That's what I've been trying to get at. And then he says, everything about me, or he says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, 
and assaults. Stop there for just a second, because when Jesus says that, law, prophets, and psalms, that is shorthand for the Old Testament. The Jewish Bible, what's called the Tanakh, is divided into three major parts. Can you guess what they are? Law, prophets, and psalms. Pentateuch, Ketuvim, and the Nevi. Right? The three sections. So he says everything that is written there, I've been trying to tell you about. And then he's going to get into his Bible study. And he says to them this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. This isn't what is some of what is written, or part of what is written, or a little section of scripture. He is going to tell them, this is what is written. In all your Old Testament, which they would have said, what's an Old Testament? In all your Bible, in all scripture, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name, in His name, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In this short little section of Scripture, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus just took in a few more than six words, but he took just a few words and summarized all of what we call the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. Everything. Everything. And what he said about it is that everything that is written in that text is about him. Now that ought to give you a little bit of pause because when he says everything is written, that includes even the weird parts. Even the book of Job, even where Bible readers go to die, Leviticus and Numbers, even weird places like Joshua, the books we get lost in, right? Let's be honest for a little bit. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you at some point in your life, you may not be there anymore, have tried to read the Old Testament and stopped, right? Man, Numbers gets me every time. It used to be Leviticus, but I have a great appreciation for Leviticus now. Numbers now, I'm like, stop, Numbers, people. Right? I wrestle with it. There was a time that reading the Old Testament was difficult. It felt pointless for me. I would get into confusing questions. What is this about? But this passage, what Jesus just said, has caused me to rethink the whole thing. So I want to look at this paradigm shift that he gives us here. Jesus here is saying something that is earth-shattering for most of us that are familiar with Scripture. And if we're not familiar with Scripture, this is giving you a lens and a way to look at Scripture to go, oh, that's what it's all about. What he said here is, this is what is written. What it's all about. The spark notes of the Old Testament. This is what it's about. And he divides it into three parts. He says, when you read scripture, it's about a Messiah. That's code word for a chosen, an anointed, a set-apart person. One who represents God to the world. One who is favored. One who is delighted in. That person will suffer. And in his case, will die. They will go through a struggle, a trial, 
or a, a moment of difficulty, a hardship, a loss. But then, through the hand of God, there will be renewal. There will be new life. Something will begin again. And then because of that amazing act of God, forgiveness and repentance will be preached everywhere. Because of this new life, because of the suffering of this one, everything can change. Things can be different. Jesus is saying to his followers, who already know the text really well, and to us, this is what the story is all about. All of Scripture, leading up to the New Testament, even Leviticus, even the weird parts of the Bible about talking snakes and wars and polygamy and idolatry, all that is about a chosen one who will suffer, find new life, and news of that will spread everywhere. Now, is that your experience in the Old Testament? It's okay to be honest about that because it often hasn't been mine. But here's what I want to do. I want to examine Jesus' rubric here or his model here and I want to examine it. I don't want to test Jesus. I don't want to use that word. But I want to see if what Jesus said is actually true. Is all of Scripture about these three things? So let's examine it for a little bit. Now hang with me on this because this sermon... Um, although I'm not sure any sermon is actually supposed to do this. Sermons aren't supposed to inspire you to act. Maybe sometimes they are. What I'm trying to do today is to get you to have a light bulb about Scripture, about the story of God. So let's see if we can do that by examining Jesus' three parts of Scripture and see if this story shows up everywhere. Because if what Jesus says is true, this pattern... Messiah who suffers and dies, resurrected, and new life is preached everywhere, ought to show up everywhere. So let's see if it does. We'll start with Joseph. Joseph. He's favored. He's set apart. His father blesses him among all the other brothers or nations. He's given a coat of many colors. Because of his favored position, he suffers at the hands of his brothers. He is thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery and put in jail. Then, after thought dead by his family, he is brought back to life in Egypt. God then uses his wisdom through dreams to feed the nations in a seven-year famine. But also, he uses Joseph to keep his father, Jacob, and his brothers who tried to kill him, alive. At the end of the story, he offers forgiveness to his family. His family receives that forgiveness, and all the world comes to Egypt to get food because of Jacob. So it's there. How about another one? How about Moses? Let's see if that pattern turns over Moses. Moses is set apart. He's favored. He is rescued from certain death at the hands of Pharaoh, who is killing all baby boys under the age of two. And in a twist of fate, the story 
displays that Moses is then raised in Pharaoh's house. As he reaches adulthood at the age of 40, he is exiled because of his own mistakes and his own anger to the desert. In the desert, he is far from his people, and he spends another 40 years as a shepherd. Being thought dead, I'm sure, God calls him back to where the story began. And he goes into Egypt. God works through this guy to rescue all people from slavery and oppression who are Israelites. And if you remember the story, as the Israelites leave Egypt everywhere they go, the nations that meet them say, we have heard about what God did in Egypt. Word spreads. Let's go a couple more. King David. He's chosen. He's anointed as the youngest of eight bros in his house. He is chosen even though he is not qualified. He's the one out tending the sheep, the one who had the lesser job of the family. But he begins, he becomes king, and he rules with a heart like God. Now because of sinful choices... Suffering enters into his life. And in a lesser known story, the kingdom of David is taken from him by one of his own family, a son named Absalom. Instead of fighting for the kingdom, King David allows it to happen. He walks away from Jerusalem and allows his son to take it, trusting that God will restore him if God would like to. God does redeem him, at the end of 2 Samuel, and restores him to his throne. And then his son Solomon takes the throne as heir, and as heir, the word of God and the wisdom of God is heard as far south as Sheba, the queen of Sheba. The righteousness and justice of Yahweh breaks forth. You starting to see it? Let's do two more really quick. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or Hananiah, Azarel, and Mishael, right? These three guys, friends of Daniel or so, they are three foreign young men who are taken out of their homeland and put in a foreign land in the empire of Babylon. They are chosen out of all the other young men to help lead the empire. They are favored and blessed. But although they're living in Babylon, they refuse to live like Babylonians. They refuse to pray. They refuse to bow the knee to the king and the idol that he builds. So the king in his anger punishes them. In certain death, they're thrown into a fiery furnace. Yet by the hand of God, they escape death and they are rescued. Then at the end of the story, what does the king do? Nebuchadnezzar, who ordered their death now orders that the whole empire acknowledge Yahweh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his letter goes to all nations. You see the pattern? Let's do one more. Let's do a hard one. Job. This is a weird book. But Job actually follows this pattern as well. In Job 1, 1 and 1, 8, we see that Job is blessed. There is none more righteous on earth than Job. He has all this, not only character blessing, he has material blessing. 
He's righteous and unlike anyone else on earth. But at the hands of the adversary, the Satan, he suffers. All that he has is taken from him. His livestock, his home, his family. He wished his wife probably would have been part of that. She's not very nice in the story. He suffers at the hands of all the things that happen. And then, that's chapter (laughs) 1. And then for the rest of the book, almost to the very end, he suffers at the hands of three bad friends who give him terrible theology and terrible advice. And they want to blame his sin for all the pain in the world. But then, near the end of the story, God restores him, blesses him, resurrects him, if you will, from a life of suffering. And then God turns and forgives his friends. He forgives the friends for their poor words and their poor theology and the way things, they, the way that they have said things wrongly. And by the way, if you pay attention to the details, all three friends, even Bildad the Shuhite, which is a great man, Bildad and all the other two friends are from every other nation on earth. And they go home forgiven by Yahweh. Come on, right? I know you guys are a bunch of boring white people, but come on, right? Come on. It's everywhere. What Jesus said, the Messiah will suffer, right? He will be anointed, he will suffer, and he will return to life is the pattern of Scripture. Now, what's different about all those in the Old Testament that did it is that that they were sinful and could not be everything that Jesus was. But Jesus comes in and He does it perfectly. He comes and represents all those. Job and Shadrach and He represents David and He represents Moses and Esther and Ruth. And He does it perfectly. And what does that have to do with us? You might be saying, well, I hope you get to it because that probably means you're near the end of your sermon, Jake. Well, we'll get there. What does that have to do? Why is this so important for us to know? It's important because of this. Is that what Jesus is declaring in Luke 24 is that this is the story and if this is God's story, then this, as a follower of God, is your story. It can be your story. Jesus' explanation, the answer to what does this have to do, means everything. The Bible declares this about us. That we've been made in the image of God. Right? Genesis 1.27. Both male and female made in the image of God. Earth shattering to the ancient world. That both male and female would be made in the image of God. That humanity... Day 6 says, is blessed above all others, above all creation. We are made, what that means in Genesis 1.27, is we are image bearers. The word is the Greek word icon. Where we get the word icon. The Bible, though, also declares about us that we have damaged and broken that icon. And we've listened to the tempter. The snake talks to us and we like to talk back. We created a world of chaos 
and rebellion. And because of that, we live in this world of confusion and death and suffering. But the story of God is that He sent His Son. One who did not and was not responsible for the chaos of the world, but instead would enter into the chaos and take it on. Absorb it into Himself on the cross and die for it. And through the power of the Spirit, be raised on the third day so that that message could bring you here this morning. Right. That's why you're here today. And it's a story that's been told again and again and again. And while the Bible is written, I don't think we're adding anything to the Bible anymore. That was done in about the 3rd or 4th century A.D. The story of God is still being written. While the Bible is written, the story of God is still going because He is still taking what is dead and through the power of Jesus making us alive. Amen? That is the pattern. That a Messiah, a chosen one, came on behalf of those who were once chosen, but chose poorly, and in their poor choice, he stood in their place so that they could be adopted back in and be chosen again. That's the story. Now, I'm going to take a risk here because I'm going to ask a few of our kids. Any of our kids, did you guys draw out for us the story of God? Did anybody draw it out. Any of our kids draw some stories that they'd like to come share with the church family and uh, what you drew. I want to see if our kids pick up on this. This is me taking a risk. If they didn't, that's okay. Did anybody draw it out? I forgot to remind you at the first of my sermon. I was ready to go. Anybody want to share? Amy, you want to come on up. If you'd like to share, come on up. If you'd like to share your drawing about the story of God, don't be shy. Come on up. Okay. Man, I'm going to use this here for Ava. What you got, Ava? Hold it up for us. Well, I drew a comment about uh, God walking on the water and, and um, the disciples seeing him and thinking he was a ghost and Peter walking on the water to him. Okay, that's very good. I like the ah. <laughs> okay, we got a good comic here, and then what's what's your last one say? Afraid. Don't be afraid, right? Yeah. That's right. Don't be afraid. All right, give Ava a round of applause. All right, thank you. Anybody else? I'm gonna show you. That's in the pattern right there. That's exactly the pattern. Anybody else? Okay. Now, what Ava picked up on? That's Matthew 14. Uh, Mark 6, other places, the walking on water. The pattern's there too. The chosen disciple, Peter, right? Gets out on the water, starts doing things like Jesus, takes his eyes off Jesus, and Jesus has to resurrect him from the water. And it was a learning point. It's everywhere. That's what Scripture is about, and it's what life is about. God's story is your story. All our stories are stories of us being made by God for a certain purpose. That is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But we mess that up. But the story is not over when we mess it up. It's the story that keeps being 
written. It's a story of us. Not resurrecting ourselves, but trusting in the resurrected one so that we can participate in his life. I don't know how to illustrate this to you guys where it lands. Just for me, it landed on me this week in a new way. It landed on me this week for me to go. If that's the story, then I want that to always be my story. I want to submit myself to Jesus every day. In every moment, sometimes multiple, multiple, multiple times a day, so that I can continue to see the resurrection power of Jesus in me. Seven years ago, I showed you a video like this. This is an updated one. We launched the story seven years ago, and I, I loved this video so much, I went back to it. And it's, it's an updated one, but it's the same thing. It's, it's the New Zealand rugby team. Or not New Zealand, the Fiji project team. Who off this little island? They won the Olympics, Tokyo Olympics a few years ago. Rugby, this tiny little island. And this is a clip from them that they do every time they win. And they sing a song, they gather up and they pray, and they sing the same song every time. And they were asked every time by some reporter, especially at the Olympics, why do you sing that song? And they say it's because we need to remember our story. And here's them singing it. I want you guys to hear it. Here we go. It's in Fijian first and then it'll switch over switch over before to English. building my own little American kingdom, 
building my own little way so I can have it my way, but life is actually found when I give myself over to Jesus. We are known in the churches of Christ for preaching baptism. You know why we preach baptism? Because it is not a representation of the story. It is a participation in the story. You hear me? It is not a representation. It is a participation of us saying, I no longer want to live for me. So I will die to myself, connect with the blood of Jesus on the cross, and be resurrected out of the water so that I can live a new life, so that the whole world can know Jesus. Now we can argue final points of theology about that. That's fine. But there is no argument in that that is what Jesus told us to do. Why he told us to baptize is because it is participation. It is actually doing it. Not to get a ticket to heaven, but to live out the life of Jesus so that heaven can invade you now. That's the story. It is the story of Jesus that we go and we we live a resurrected life. And that's what we invite you to today. When you go through the story starting this week, you're going to read in Genesis this week about a brokenness, about something that was good, very good, that was broken. And you're going to begin a journey towards needing a Messiah. But we all know that. So may we live like a Fijian rugby player by the blood of the Lamb and the Word Let's stand together and sing as we sing about the blessed assurance we have from the story. Blessed assurance.